land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. This is a podcast by the RASC Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wargent, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Chris Bates and I'm joined in the, uh, online here with Amy Lunardi. How are you doing, Amy? I'm good, Chris. How are you? If you haven't listened to any of our episodes, we're hoping to become Australia's most trusted podcast, uh, property podcast, that is. Um, today, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive um, into the, the murky world of off the plan and, you know, what is it? How does it work? What are some of the positives or some of the negatives or some of the risks? Um, so it's going to be a really good chat today. And Amy, Amy and I come from different worlds, I guess. I come from the lending side and I've seen all sorts of um, issues in this this sort of type of investing. And Amy on the other side on the property asset side you know she's got a lot of insights in what she's seen in client stories so we're going to have lots of different conversations around little anecdotes where it's gone well when it hasn't gone well so before we get you know into the the guts of it amy what is off the plan right that's a big misconception of you know what type of property you can buy under it and, and how it all works yeah so the most common type of off the plan property is one that hasn't yet been built. That being said, technically an off-the-plan property could be also at various stages of mm. construction. It might be 10% complete, 80% complete. It also in some situations can be fully complete, but it's still technically off the plan because that plan of subdivision hasn't registered. And that's the very last step that happens before that before you can go and settle. And it is important to understand if you're buying a brand new property if that plan of subdivision has been registered yet, because there can actually be delays in that process, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But the most common situation with off the plan is not yet constructed at all. So what you're really buying is something based on some plans that you have been provided with. Yeah, some plans, some beautiful renders, a beautiful website, maybe a display suite um, on a high street somewhere where it's, you know, selling you the lifestyle of how beautiful this home may be one day. Um, and there's, there's issues in that itself, you know. There's potentially what they they offer you and they promise may not be exactly the way they finish it, you know, the fixtures, fittings, the sizes, there's all sorts of issues there to sort of unravel. But 
you know, what's the sort of process, right? So generally, um, you know, and this isn't just high-rise apartments. I think that we should make that clear. It could be medium density. It could be a small block of six units. It could be townhouses, um, you know, maybe a row of three or four townhouses or even just a duplex. Um, but it, we're not talking about sort of greenfield, new house and land packages that you, you buy the land and then you appoint a builder and you build the house um, yourself. That's a complete other sort of um, type of investing that we're not talking about today. It's really where people go into um, sign up for something that hasn't been built, usually more high density or, you know, more of a dense, you know, multiple dwelling situation. And it's going to take many years for that to be built. Um, what's the sort of process that that is that um, people should expect after they sort of buy something off the plan? Yeah, well, the key difference, just like you've touched on there, Chris, we're not talking about house and land. And the key difference here is off the plan is still one contract. It's one contract that you're entering to purchase that property. Mm. And then that developer or that builder is going to build that property. And you're not having to get separate construction finance or anything yep. like that. So one loan and one contract in comparison to if you're purchasing um, land and then constructing a building on it. So kind of like a house and land situation, that's one loan and one contract for the land and then you have to go and find a builder and have a separate loan for that and a separate contract so with off the plan a little bit more straightforward but not without risk and when you're purchasing off the plan Chris you're right in that you might have or you might be given uh, these brochures and floor plans and renders which are essentially computer generated images of what that property could look like, including the interiors and exteriors, sometimes display suites. Sometimes you might not get very good information at all. It really depends on the marketing budget of that particular developer. But why you might consider off the plan sometimes is that it can give you some more choice. So you might be looking to purchase in a particular area and there could be a couple of new developments going up. And for whatever reason, you might say, well, this actually suits my timeline. This suits my criteria. These properties are in the right location. They're ticking the right kind of boxes. So in which case it may give you more opportunities than just considering established properties. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're right. What we've seen uh, sometimes with clients is they've become a bit fed up in the, the market, right? They've been going to open homes, they've been going to auctions, um, they've maybe been taken for a bit of a ride by some agents, they, they thought they had a property and it was all going to happen, then it fell over. Um, and they're just fed up, they get exhausted. And what ends up happening is they see a display suite and they're like, walk in and then all of a sudden they're getting this, you know, free sparkling water and it's getting this beautiful um, renders are getting thrown to them and then they're getting promised that they're getting a really good deal and maybe, you know, an extra special one of the apartments and they're getting thrown all these extras like, you know, these features and fittings and they're like, this just sounds amazing. Um, you only have to put a $1,000 deposit down today um, and then you just got to put an extra five or five grand down next week or 10% down next week. And I think that's what happens is, is that a lot of the off-the-plan sector, especially if they're selling it to home buyers and a lot of first-home buyers, is they it, it's easier to buy because it's just like a beautiful experience sitting down, uh, picking your apartment, picking your fixtures and fittings versus the pain it is going to auctions, going to open homes, doing building and pests, saying no to properties, negotiating with agents. And that's that's not a reason to do it, but that is definitely one of the motivations I find with buyers is that they go there because it's less painful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially if you are looking at buying into one of those larger blocks, 
you might have your pick, especially at the very start when not all of them have been snapped up. So, you know, you might get to choose which side of the block you want to be on or the, the best orientation or the best layout for you, et cetera. And that can be appealing. And some of the plan properties, not all of them, but some will allow you to make little customizations, for example, choosing the internal color scheme, sometimes changing a wall here and there, not nothing major, nothing too structural, um, but it can give you that little bit of an, an element of being able to tailor that property to yourself. And for some buyers as well, the idea of buying something which is brand new and they're that first owner and no one else has lived in that property, they can really like that idea too in the same way that sometimes people prefer to buy brand new cars, though in the same way that a brand new car depreciates the first minute that you drive it out of the showroom, sometimes off the plan properties can do that as well. Yeah, exactly. And we'll talk a bit more about that in detail, but I'll, I agree with you. That's definitely one of the things that entices people to buy off the plan is that feeling of it being new, right? It's like, you know, you get a new car and you get the bow on top of it. It's like when you settle on off the plan, everything's fresh. You know, there's nothing to do. Um, there's often is things to do. There's defects that they're trying to fix, you know. They haven't painted there. They've damaged the cupboards. The taps aren't right, etc. There's usually things that are happening, to be honest, with builds. But Ultimately, it's that you're buying something that feels brand new. And I think that entices a lot of buyers to it because there's this no need to do a renovation, which when you're buying established property, often there's a list of things you want to do to it, but things also you need to do. Um, that's potentially one of the, the big draw cards, right? The easy to buy, buying something new, maybe you can tailor it. The other thing benefit we see um, with the off-the-plan space is you can potentially buy it at today's prices, um, and hopefully that's a good price for when, when this thing finally settles in a few years' time and it's being built. And like you say, they've got um, all the, the land registers being sort of updated and they've got a, a, a building certificate, et cetera, that that's actually a good price you purchased at even though you purchased it sort of three years ago. But this can go both ways, can't it, Amy? <laughs> it can go both ways. So what that means is when you're purchasing now, you're purchasing at today's price. And with an off-the-plan property, that completion or that final time when it's built and you can settle and move in, that might be quite a while in the future. You know, if it was a boutique townhouse complex, it might be, say, one year away. But for these larger apartment blocks, this could be many, many years down the track. And further to that, quite often there are delays. There are delays to the build. There are delays outside of your control. So if the market goes up in the meantime, well, that's a bit of a win for you because you've purchased at today's price but we all know that the market doesn't always go up. And if it goes down, then that can be a huge problem for you. And this can sometimes happen for you know reasons which you can't foresee the market changing, but also especially if you're buying into an area where more subdivisions are happening. So maybe yours is the only apartment block going up in that particular spot right now, but over the next few years, more get built and that can actually devalue your property and you have less scarcity of that property too. Yeah, absolutely. So what happens is clients will come to us and get pre-approval and we say you can borrow X amount today. They go into the established market. So that's one of the other 11 million dwellings out there um, and they try to buy. And if they bought 
one of those properties, they could get financed today, right? Because that property would settle in, you know, 30, 60, 90 days or something, right? The problem with off the plan is, is that what you can borrow today may not be what you can borrow in three years' time. So one of the big negatives around the off the plan space is when clients come to us, okay, in 2022, they could borrow a million dollars. They settle on the property in 2024 and they can only borrow $600,000, whether that's changes to bank policy or they're not working or they started a business, et cetera. We find that um, you know, it can be a real issue, especially if you look at the last 12 months. Borrowers could have borrowed 35 to 40% more last year. So if they signed up to an off-the-plan contract in 2021, um, they would be unlikely to borrow that money in you know, 2022 or 2023 probably. So I think that's a – and the other thing, I guess, with the lending is that you only get a valuation on the property when it's finished. So – what matters is not what you pay for it today, but what's that property going to be worth when it finishes? And that's what a bank will lend on. And what you can see is very publicised in apartment markets in Melbourne and Brisbane in particular is that the bank wouldn't value it what you purchased at. So you might have bought it at 500000 but the bank value came in at four fifty, and they would only lend 80% on that, let's say, rather than 80% on the 500000 that you agreed to pay the developer. And it creates this real big shortfall. It's called a settlement risk. Um, and that's going to be really, really common in the next couple of years. You think the off-the-plan sector does really well when there's real desperation and, and buyers are very, um, you know, looking for alternative options than buying in the actual market. Um, and so a lot of people bought off-the-plan in 2021, for example, but those properties aren't getting completed till 2022, 2020, uh, you know, 2023, 2024. Um, so that's just something to be really mindful of is the settlement risk Um a, maybe because you can't borrow the money, but B, because the valuation comes in lower. Yeah, and the the issue around, you know, purchasing now, but this property not being able to settle for a couple of years, it exposes yourself to so much risk because so much can change from, like you said, the finance perspective, your income position could change, banking policy could change, you know, so many things which are beyond your control and you can't foresee. And also your own personal situation could mm. change. You might a couple of years down the track say, well, no, this is not representative of my current lifestyle needs anymore, but you'll still then need to have to go through with that purchase unless you can on-sell it. And that's a whole separate story. That is easier said than done. So because things can change so much, you can in theory put yourself in as best position as you can with finance by having as big of a buffer as you can, saving up in the meantime, just in case you have a bank valuation shortfall. Just say that property is valued at $50,000 less than what you paid or $100,000. What would you do in that instance? Speak to your mortgage broker. Is that an acceptable risk for you? What would your backup plans be? What would your contingencies be? And then building up a buffer in the meantime, just in case that happens. So you can't be subject to finance when it comes to off the plan. The developer or the agent is not going to let you have a two-year subject to finance clause. So in which case, you are taking a lot of risk when it comes to finance and off the plan. Yeah, absolutely. I think even your lifestyle in terms of you might have a partner now in the future, you might not you might not be with the partner when you first sign the contract. Um, 
And you are liable for not only the, the stamp duty and, and settle and losing your deposit. Um, there's potentially also, you know, you're liable if the developer can't sell that property and they can, there's all these other legal issues that can come down the line. If you decide to walk away, you're not potentially just walking away from your 10% deposit. It's a, it's a bit of an unknown. Developers in some situations would try to come to you for what they can sell it at in the future. And um, while it's rare, it's in the contract. And one of the things I think people sometimes think is, okay, well, if in two years' time I've signed this contract and I don't want to go ahead with it, I'll just get out of it and I'll sell it to someone else. But a lot of developers have contracts that don't allow you to on-sell that property. You're not allowed to give this to somebody else until it settles because what they want to do is stop anyone creating new prices for the value of those properties um, between net when they first sign the contract and when it settles. In case people are selling properties for much under what they're getting sold, uh, being sold for and create valuation issues. So they're not easy to get out of these contracts. Um, each developer's got their own um, contract. So you need to be really mindful on that and get some great legal advice if you're considering it. It's the same for investors. These aren't just first home buyers. You know, a lot of downsizers play in this space, to be honest. Um, and a lot of investors play in this space. And what we've seen is investors actually get uh, sign up to these off the plan and it takes years for them to realise it was a, not the best decision, but they're stuck. They can't do anything else. They can't sell it. Um, so they have to settle on it and it's taking years and years. So they have this huge opportunity cost of what they could have done if they didn't buy that off the plan. Um, and that's another thing we see um, in this segment. Yeah, and there can be so many delays when it comes to yeah. these off-the-plan purchases being completed. And you might say, okay, well, you know, this one's estimated to be done in a year. That timeline works for me. It means I can save a little bit more and I'm okay with the risks and I'm not in a rush. So, you know, in theory that could work out for you, but that year could turn into 18 months. It could turn into two years. And there's interestingly, many, many years ago, this happened to one of my colleagues. She helped someone purchase a property which was technically off the plan. There was only two in the block and they were just going through the final process. The property had been actually fully built, but they were just waiting on the lodgement of the, the title. And that actually ended up taking eight months. That is a process mm. which should have taken a couple of weeks or so, mm. but there was some kind of problem with that and it took eight months. So even if that property is fully built, just be aware that there are all of these delays beyond your control, which can impact you. Yeah. And a lot of people say, well, what I'll do is I'll research the builder and I'll pick the best builder, um, which absolutely is a great idea. You definitely want to see, you know, how, um, how long they've been around, what's their other projects, you know, how, what experience, what capital have they got, um, you know, are they a big organisation than a small organisation? But we can see in even recent years, you know, there's been some massive names that have gone under in the building industry, right, um, and are unable to complete um, projects. There was a big one in Sydney recently, like PBS and Porter Davis in the House and Land Packages. And, you know, one of the big risks with the off-the-plan sector is that you're reliant on that builder, you know, staying liquid over that time of the build. And, you know, what happens is builders see individual projects as individual companies. And while they may be absolutely winning on this development and this is going really well and they've, uh, they know they're going to make great profits here, some pro um, projects can be just really bad apples, I guess. And things can get weather, staffing issues, material problems, council problems, um, unforeseen just issues with the land. Um, 
things can make projects start to run, um, you know, into the negative, into the red, right? And what ends up happening is they start making cutbacks in the materials, they start making cutbacks in the fixtures and fittings because they know they're going to lose money on these projects. And even to a certain extent, they actually, you know, Phoenix, they actually let certain projects go under. And so great builders aren't, you know, the way to get around this problem. It can even have problems that great builders in the offer plan space because each individual project's like an individual business. Absolutely. And I've seen that happen before with, and just for context, I can help clients purchase off the plan and I have helped clients purchase off the plan in the past. These are specifically been home buyers who approach me and say, I've found this property. I really, really want it. It suits me. I love it. I want to get into it. And I run through all of the pros and cons with them and they've ended up making the decision to purchase it. And they've been quite happy with it with it in the end because they have gone into that eyes wide open. But then I've also heard of some buyers, and I was speaking to someone not long ago, where they did all of their due diligence on the builder. They saw previous projects that they had done. They were happy with it. It come highly recommended from certain for certain people. But that person ended up actually going bust. That building company ended up going bust because they ran into cash flow management issues. Mm. They must, they were probably a great builder and they, you know, built a good product, but they weren't able to run the business that well. So, you know, you can do everything right and be an informed, educated buyer when it comes to these things, but there are so many extra layers of risk beyond your control in comparison to purchasing an established property. Yeah, one of the thing issues that I find is is that you know a lot of the buildings built in the last twenty, maybe even up to thirty years, there's some um, significant building issues. There's you just have to type it into Google and um, you'll find um, how many apartments have got defects, whether it's cladding, whether it's water issues, um, whether it's um, you know uh, fire uh, issues in terms of the way they've done that, etc. So there's lots of issues in a lot of buildings, and um, you know, and what the problem with buying off the plan is that a building you don't know how um, you know how well it's built. You had Opal Tower just a couple of years ago, right? A brand new building um, had lots of, um, and so you you didn't know that. So when you signed up that contract for Opal Tower, um, you thought that building was brand new and there'd be no issues on it. Well, as soon as you it got to the other end, there was defects. Those defects have to get fixed, and we all know, well, we do. But what are some of the issues where people assume that it's got lots of great warranty, but a lot of um, bigger buildings have less insurance than something like a toaster? <laughs> well, it's more around that there is certainly like statutory warranties in place, like basic consumer warranties when it comes to builders. But the reality is it's easier said than done to pursue them and to be able to recoup costs and to be able to get them to come back to rectify things. So even if you manage to go through that process, it's not going to be out without time and energy and mental cost as well. So when you're buying a brand new property or when you're buying an off-the-plan property, you you can't check the quality of that and it hasn't had time for those issues to bubble to the surface mm. in comparison to sometimes we'll look at an apartment and it's maybe, you know, five plus years old and these defects have already been identified by the body corporate and owners corporation and maybe they've looked into them and figured out a solution or I've come across apartment um, blocks before where they're currently taking action against that builder, but there's no resolution as yet. And sometimes that's been going on for many years. And for me, that's that's a that's a deal breaker and that's a red flag. 
Yeah, and this isn't just, you know, you don't get these issues just with off the plan, right? You definitely get it when you're buying in the established property market, which is pretty much everything else, right? But you've done your strata report, you've really looked at the building, you've got a building, you know, a building and pest inspector to have a look at it potentially. Um, it's in the minutes, you know what the issues are. Now, it's not to say that's foolproof, you know, absolutely, we've got clients who um, bought into older apartments and you know, six months later, they've figured out there's some water issues that were never in the minutes and were never documented. So you can't, you know, you can't avoid all risks, right? But one of the big issues in the off the plan sector is that you're basically buying a building that's untested and you're reliant on those defects getting fixed, which is reliant on the builders still being in business, which is reliant on them also having, you know, different types of insurance, which, you know, bigger builds sometimes don't have. So, you just got to be really careful. Um, we've seen that go really wrong for clients. What's your thoughts, Amy, though, on the Ultimately, though, if a client gets through all those decisions, what's your thoughts on the overall asset performance of, you know, more newer builds and, and off the plan sector? So when I'm, when I'm considering the sort of suitability going forward, if it's a home, then, of course, you know, you need to ensure that that meets your own accommodation requirements, et cetera. And maybe it is going to fill in a gap of being able to get you into the suburb that you couldn't have afforded or you didn't have any options for an established property and that's okay. Um, but from an investing perspective or even, you know, as you're purchasing as a home buyer, you should be aware of this as well because when you are purchasing brand new, in some situations, you might be paying a premium for the newness of it or the fact that that developer has an amazing marketing budget and they've pitched you the dream and maybe you've paid a bit of a premium for that. Um, but also when it is, say, part of a, a very large complex, when you've got no scarcity, when you're one of, you know, 100 properties and then at some point in the future when time comes to sell, maybe you're competing against four or five others for sale in that block at that point in time, or even leasing that property out, you're going to have quite a few in that block for lease at once. And I recall um, many, like back in 2012, when I was working in leasing in Richmond, there were quite a few off the plan blocks that had just settled. And I was taking tenants through eight or nine at a time within that block, I was saying, hey, everyone, follow me around. And I was going to all of these, and they had too much choice. And it was taking so long to lease those properties out. And also, side note on that, because this is another risk when it comes to off the plan, I remember one of those apartments you walked into and outside the balcony, directly outside the balcony of the living area was a big black brick wall. That mm. buyer would not have known that that was going to be the case when it came to purchasing that property. They would have never been okay with that. But that was outside of their control in terms of understanding what their outlook was going to be like. And that property was almost impossible to lease because who would have wanted to live mm. in a house like that? So not having the confidence of knowing exactly what you're buying and what it's looking out on and what's outside your windows, et cetera, who's looking into your windows, all of these are extra layers of risk. Yeah, absolutely. We find that in the off-the-plan sector is that a lot of the best apartments, the north aspects, the bigger ones, the higher floors, um, they've all been snapped up, right? And the developers selling it, keeping them, selling it to their family and friends, their, their close connections. Um, and a lot of the scraps is what gets sold out in the marketplace, right? Um, and, you know, and who's to know what the your view is going to be in five years? And one of the things with new property is if they're allowing to build that development, you've got to ask, 
why wouldn't they not allow other developments to happen around that property? So ultimately, a lot of high-density apartments happen in little gluts, you know, no matter what city you're in. Um, and so they've allowed this development to happen. There's also planning approvals. There's land banking going on by lots of other developers. Um, so there's lots of other apartments usually in the queue to be built um, around you and who, and who knows what happens. So that's one of the big future risks. So, yeah, it settles, but... Once it's settled, who's to say you don't spend the next two years with a construction site next to you? Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. definitely what we've seen. Now, even if you buy into the um, smaller developments, maybe it's a boutique block of six townhouses, right, in a middle ring suburb. Ultimately, if they've been able to get that one through council, you've got to ask, well, are they going to be able to get more through? Um, and so it might be the shortfall of townhouses in the area today, but by the time you've finished, you can see that there's lots of other houses getting knocked down and more um, townhouses are getting built. So there's a supply issue, not only when you sell your apartment or your townhouse, because more might be available in your block, but there'll be more getting built in your suburb, hence the reason why you've been able to sort of um, buy this in the first place. The issue yeah. you find there is that um, when you thought it was new, you bought it when when you bought it, it was new. Um, but when you're selling it, no longer are the walls all as clean, you know, uh, no longer is the oven brand new, no longer is the style of the building in current trend. Um, Built, new buildings usually age extremely fast. And so what happens is, is when people buy in the off-the-plan sector, you know, three, four, five, seven years down the line, they want to upgrade into something else. They go to sell that on the market and they go realise this is an old apartment right now and there's all these new apartments available right now. Why would a buyer spend the same amount of money to buy my apartment when they could buy something new for the same price or a similar price just up the road? Um, and so that's one of the issues with resale value is that your your apartment really depreciates while there's new options available around you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. When it comes to, to scarcity, that's a key driver of capital growth or <laughs> lack of capital growth. Yeah. But also what you just mentioned too, Chris, around lots of other apartments potentially coming up in that area can introduce what's called postcode risk. So when it comes to settle that property, some lenders might have placed a cap on how many properties they are willing to lend to in that particular suburb or even within one block. Mm. So just say you're thinking of going with Westpac, but Westpac's only happy to have exposure to a certain number of properties in that particular block, they might not then approve your loan Absolutely. It's, um, it's a very good point you make, Amy. Um, lenders not only have postcode restrictions, they have actual property, um, you know, limits, right? Because they don't want to be overexposed to certain apartment blocks. And lenders know that the off-the-plan high-density place is higher risk, hence why a lot of them have minimum floor sizes. Um, it might be 50 squares, it might be, um, but also they'll have, you know, LVR limits. So they might only want to lend up to 80% on the value of properties within certain postcodes or not lend at all. Um, and ultimately, the price of a property is based on how much uh, how much people buying in that suburb can get access to the lending. So their growth is limited because people in that suburb all have to have a 20% deposit versus maybe trying to borrow at 90%. So ultimately, the off-the-plan sector, if you're buying in the high density, you're buying in lots of new townhouses, your growth is generally limited because of those reasons. A, future supply. B, your assets depreciating. The oven's no longer new. The roof's no longer you. And you've got an alternative in that suburb if you wanted to buy new. So people generally want to buy that for the same price. Um, yeah. And then you've got other issues on top of that. And there's just overall less transparency too when it comes to these prices. It can be a lot more challenging to do comparable sales because you might not have access to 
data of other sales within that block, or even if the developer is sharing that with you, in some instances, there are things happening in the background which you're not aware of. For example, rebates. That developer might sell a property to someone and offer them a $20,000 rebate on settlement. So it looks like on paper that buyer is paid $500,000, but in reality, they've only paid $480,000. But other buyers will look at that thinking they've paid $500,000. So using that as a benchmark, and that's kind of just a, a tactic that that some developers use to kind of artificially inflate the price of those properties. So yeah, it can be more challenging knowing the true value of them and understanding if there were any rebates involved there. Yeah. So we wouldn't as a business work with anyone who sells off the plan. Um, We have gone nowhere near it since uh, I started looking at property back in 2012. I was educated very early on, on on all the risks and and then I've seen thousands of people and their results buying off the plan, right? And very few have done really well. The people who have done well have bought amazing times and um, have bought maybe pre a boom um, and locked in a price today and then the market boomed and they wouldn't have been able to enter the market any other way. And so that was a really good decision for them. Um, but a lot of the time it hasn't worked out from a long-term growth point of view. I think you're absolutely right, Amy. The whole world is really murky around property and these selling of these. There's huge commissions to be made for mortgage brokers or buyers agents that sell new property um, versus actually going and doing the hard yards and going to open homes and negotiating with agents and doing building and pest reports. They buyers agents absolutely deserve their fees for that because they're working absolutely for you. They're not being a front for a developer. Um, so I'd, I'd say that, and and valuers know this as well. So years down the line, when they're valuing properties, they can see that there's some rebates happening. They they get valuation issues um, because they know it's so murky. And Chris, as a mortgage broker, what's the worst situation that you've you've potentially seen with one of your clients or have heard about in terms of? bank valuation shortfalls? Uh, we've seen quite some big ones. So we would never help um, encourage a client to sign into an off-the-plan contract. If so, they're a client of ours, we would really educate them um, of some alternatives and, and really explain the risks. Some clients have obviously still done it um, and, or clients have come to us and they've already signed a contract and we'll help them get out of it. Um, uh, either try to encourage them to get out of the contract, which is really difficult, but if they have to settle, we'll manage the lending for them. It's a real nightmare situation for a broker potentially where you get valuation issues. So going back to a client a couple of years ago, bought an apartment in Ride. Um, it was for 870. They got a valuation on a 780, right? Um, they had to ask parents. It was a nightmare. It went LMI. It was, um, and that apartment still is worth less than what they paid. Um, so they still had to pay the developer 870, but, you know, they knew straight away this place was only worth less than 800. Um, and value is that a lot of people say, oh, the broker will just order another valuation with a different bank. Well, yeah, absolutely, we tried that, but we still got low valuation. It's not the solution, is it? Um, yeah. And sometimes we have got clients out of it. Um, so we've we've got a low valuation and we've ordered another valuation through a different bank and that bank's come in at contract price. But that's like a cross-your-finger moment. And that, that could be the decision of someone having to basically ask their parents and family for money because if they don't settle, they lose their 10% deposit. Um, so, And we've seen this also for investors as well. We've seen clients... Um, you know, uh, you know, suffer quite big losses, um, especially in the apartment market in sort of Brisbane, where they may have bought at five hundred and sold at four twenty, um, and you know they've had to put that debt on their home because that that money had to be lost somewhere. So, um, we've also seen issues with buildings. We've got a client at the moment who signed an off the plan contract, bought in the heat of the moon, uh, 
market of 2021, the builder's basically not building. Um, they're going to keep these apartments because um, they think, I assume, they're going to be worth more if they just build them and sell them and ride out something called the sunset clause. Um, well, let's touch on that, Chris. Let's explain what the sunset clause is because it's uh, the legislation is a little bit different here in Victoria to New South Wales. Yeah, and I think, I think it is a state-based thing. There's lots of things happening in this space to stop this issue. But basically, if the build hasn't finished by a certain date, then you know, the, the contract's basically ripped up and you get your deposit back. Um, and that that is um, something that you may want to evoke because you say, well, you promised me that it'd be done in four years and it's not. I want my money back. Problem is you've lost four years out of the market. Um, and sometimes the developer sort of purposely gets to the end of it and doesn't do it. And then they basically give you a deposit back because they know they could sell it for more money in the marketplace. So that's one of the issues with Sunshine. It's meant to protect you as a consumer but we have had situations where the developer just basically rides it out and then sells them on the market and makes more money that way. Yeah, and in Victoria that used to be the case. Fortunately, not anymore in that the buyer has the option but no longer the developer unless they apply mm. via the Supreme Court. So that helped, has helped a little bit because that was, that was happening so much, especially if the market had increased since and the developer thought, oh, this is great. I'm just going to cancel that contract and make an even bigger profit. So I guess it's fair to say, Chris, that you and I are both very much on the same page when it comes to off the plan. Not a big fan for various reasons. Absolutely not interested from an investment perspective. But when it comes to buying your own home and as long as you are going into this with eyes completely wide open and you have an understanding around personal risk, finance risk, you have a lot of backup plans in, th in case things go wrong, it has and can work out for some buyers. But the most important thing is to do as much due diligence as you can beforehand and just know that is one of the most risky types of property purchases. And I think one of the good news is, is I think the next generation of off the plan, um, the standards builders are going to build to um, and the quality of what they build is going to be much better than what they've built in the last 20, 30 years. A lot of what they've been building is for investors. Um, investors want cheap prices and so they've built cookie cutter, cheap apartments in our capital cities. I think the next um like round of apartments that are going to be built are for people who are buying homes. They're going to expect a much greater finish, a much better quality, much better management of any defects. Um, there's a lot more um, spotlight on builders. Um, there's, you know, a registrar and there's a commissioner in New South Wales. Um, I think the buildings are becoming more sustainable. They're, they're offering, um, you know, there's a whole, I think the whole new train is going to get much better um, options for people, but it doesn't negate all these other risks that we, we talk about. And potentially you're better off just buying in one of these new buildings once it's built, once you can do evaluation on it, once it's got a track record with the building, you don't have to be the one that takes all the risk and signs the contract. And so with the, this is not against the building or the construction industry. We need more buildings. We've got a rental crisis. We've got high migration, et cetera. We just believe as a, someone who's entering the market, You've just got to be really careful if you can afford to take these financial risks yourself. And the final thing is that the state government um, and the federal government, to a certain extent, has, has a huge part to play in this. They incentivize people to buy new property 
all the time, whether it's first home buyer grants, reductions to stamp duty, et cetera. Um, what, are they, what are they giving you those for, these subsidies? It's because the government makes so much money on new builds. They make huge taxes. They make huge um, taxes on the builder's profits and development taxes and GST, um, et cetera. So you've got to be really careful falling for the government incentives um, because if you end up getting an extra 25 grand in your pocket, but you end up getting a poor asset that doesn't go up, um, or goes down or has some building issues, you're not going to be worried about that 25 grand. So be very careful falling for these government incentives. Great. I think that's a pretty good summary of everything today, Chris. And if you are even remotely considering off the plan, make sure that you look into it much, much further and have really, really, really thorough chats with your mortgage broker around what could happen when things go wrong. Thanks for your time today, Chris. Awesome to chat. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for tuning into the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.